You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, a local body of believers in Quarryville, PA. To learn more about Oak Hill, visit oakhillfellowship.com. Now grab a Bible and a notebook and prepare to be spiritually enriched by God's Word. You can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, we're going to finish out uh, the end of chapter 15. We're going to actually finish the book today as Mark wrote it. 16 verse 8. Uh, We actually have one more week in our study in Mark. Next week we're going to be doing kind of the alternate ending to the book of Mark. And uh, I'll wait to both explain why there is an alternate ending and uh, and also consider what if that ending were true. Uh, And really, what what do we do believing that the gospel of Mark is true? Uh, but you'll, if you have more questions on that subject, you're just going to have to come back next week, I guess. Uh, and, uh, and we can see what do we do with these like weird notes that are in our Bible that tell us that some manuscripts don't have this and all that stuff. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to dig into that and explain it next week. Uh, but this week, we're going to study to the end of Mark's gospel in chapter 16, verse 8, where I believe that Mark actually ended the gospel. And as a church, we've been studying uh, this book since the beginning of January, uh, both through our study guides and through the sermon series that are... Uh, and, and through uh, the sermon discussions in our gospel communities as well. And I believe that uh, for many of us, it has been a rich encounter with Jesus. It's been a sharp, pointed, give me the truth straight kind of encounter, uh, but a rich encounter nonetheless. And we've been studying Mark's gospel with this vision. I, I hope that you know it by heart by now, that now is the time to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now is the time to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That came right from chapter 1, verse 1, where Mark told us that's what he was setting out to do, that he was setting out to tell us the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And now as he records the details of Jesus' ministry, we see that, that there was a time when Jesus was somewhat secretive about his identity as the Messiah, as the Son of God, because people would misunderstand his mission. But in the days leading up to his crucifixion, and especially after his resurrection, he made it abundantly clear who he came to be, who he claimed to be. And and, and now, in light of all that we've read about him, in light of all that we've seen about him, in light of his great redemption, he makes it abundantly clear that now is the time for us to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ the Son of God. You could say this whole sermon series was about the the family value that we have here at Oak Hill that we call courageous evangelism. A few weeks ago, the elders were assessing where we are as a church in this area of evangelism. Have we seen progress through this study of the book of Mark in this area of evangelism? And, And we were observing that we see in our church a desire to evangelize, and, and some increasing activity of evangelism. But if there was an area that we still needed to grow, it was probably in this idea of courage in our evangelism. Bold steps of faith. And, and that includes us as elders too. That we have room to grow in this way. See, there's evangelism. There's, there's telling others the good news, especially those who, who don't trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. But then there's courageous evangelism. There's telling others the good news when it's hard, when there's a cost to it, when it's a little bit scary, 
There's telling others the good news when we don't know how, what the outcome will be or even when we don't know the person that we're telling all that well. There's telling others about Jesus when it will mean upending our lives and our schedules and getting out of our comfort zones. There's telling others about Jesus when we have to cross some boundaries to get it to people. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about courageous evangelism. In labeling our family value courageous evangelism, we're, we're not just talking about getting Jesus out there when it's convenient or doesn't cost us very much. We're acknowledging that true evangelism is hard and oftentimes even a little bit scary. I think Franklin Delano Roosevelt said it best when he said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. And as we come to the end of this study in the book of Mark, we're confronted once again with the inherent cost of both following Jesus and telling others about him. We're challenged at the end of this gospel to be courageous in our identification with Jesus by assessing that there is something else, or more precisely, someone else more important than our fear. Namely, Jesus Christ who conquered the grave. Who is the promised anointed Savior King. Who is the Son of God. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, we can take courage to tell others about Him. Not fearlessness, not the absence of fear, but rather steal in our spine courage, knowing that our Savior is risen and reigning and calling all men to the gospel through Himself. And He is worthy of their praise and ours. And so here's our big idea for today take courage. Take courage. Courage to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, risen from the dead. Take courage to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, risen from the dead. Your Bibles are open to Mark chapter 15. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 40 today. Uh, we're, we're still at the scene of the crucifixion. Now, typically, we don't get to study the burial and the resurrection on the same day because when do we study the burial and the resurrection? We study the burial on Good Friday, and we study the resurrection on Easter, and it just sometimes doesn't feel right to, to put them both together on either one of those holidays. And so we get a unique privilege today as we study through a book of the Bible to take this as one unit. And as we do, we get to see one last example of Mark's favorite technique. I know you're excited about this. What, what is it? What is it? You know what it is? The market sandwich. You guys have been listening. Woo! Yes, Nick is excited. Mark serves up one last sandwich for us to sink our teeth into at the end of his gospel. And first, he... he introduces the women who will be the, the first witnesses at the tomb. He introduces them. That's the, the first slice of bread. And, and then he tells us about the burial of Jesus by Joseph of Arimathea. And then he closes that out with the last slice of bread, uh, which uh, is like the best slice of bread ever, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the witness of the women at the tomb. But throughout the whole sandwich, 
it's interesting. You see him contrasting the flavors of courage and fear. You know how like a good a, a good meal has like and a, and a good dish has like contrasting like spicy and sweet and all this. Here, Mark is serving up a sandwich that contrasts courage and fear. Both of them are present, and both of them help us understand what we are to do with this resurrected Jesus. And so see if you can see these themes layer up as I read the whole passage beginning in 15, verse 40. Mark chapter 15, verse 40. I hope that you're looking down in a Bible, reading this for yourself. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, Joseph, I'm sorry, and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud And taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and of Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Take courage. Tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, risen from the dead. In all three parts of this sandwich, we see the women who followed Jesus getting closer and closer to the reality of the resurrection. And as they do, they're they're really being challenged to take courage in the midst of their fear. And then to tell others. And in the middle of that sandwich, we, we see Joseph of Arimathea faced with the same challenge. So as we work through this text today, I want us to see three steps toward courageous evangelism. Three steps toward courageous evangelism. And the first is this, observe his finished work of salvation. Observe his finished work of salvation. 
In verse 40, we have the first mention of the female disciples of Jesus in the book of Mark. But he introduces them at this point because of their direct tie and importance in observing the resurrection of Jesus. So we have Mary Magdalene. Luke tells us that Jesus had cast out demons from her and healed her. We have Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Now, we don't know much about her at all. Uh, There is a slight chance that this is actually Mary, the mother of Jesus as well, because we know that earlier in Mark, Jesus had brothers named James and Joseph. And so we also know that his mother was named Mary. It's possible that Mark is now emphasizing the, the glorification of Jesus by disassociating him from his mother in his post-crucifixion, pre-resurrection state. But those are common names as well, so we don't know that for sure. We do know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was at the cross. But then we have Salome. And Salome is the wife of Zebedee. She's the mother of James and John. You remember James and John who, who wanted the seats on the right hand and the, right, and the left hand of Jesus, right? And Mark says that there were other women there as well. And he makes sure to include this detail that these women had followed Jesus and ministered to him when he was in Galilee. Remember, Jesus' ministry in Mark's gospel started in the north of Israel in Galilee. And so these are close followers of Jesus. These women were important members of the larger group of disciples, which, by the way, in the, in the early church time period, uh, that would have been something that you kind of downplayed. But the church elevates the importance of women and gives them honor, and we should too. They played an important role, and they had given the better part of the last three years of their life to serving the needs of of Jesus. But now, they're watching at a distance. And we have to realize that this, in and of itself, is courageous. Remember, all the male disciples are scattered. We do know from John's gospel that that he was at least there with Mary, the mother of Jesus, so we'll give him some credit. But the others, as far as we know, have been on the run since the previous night. So there's some real courage in these women. And yet they still can't do anything. At this point, they can't do anything to serve or help Jesus. They're they're so used to serving Him, of, of ministering to Him. And now all they can do at the cross of Jesus is watch from a distance. The past few weeks we've been talking about why This is significant. Why Jesus had to go to the cross alone. We said that Jesus entered into death alone because he alone is sufficient to save. He had to do it by himself. We said that Jesus died as a substitute bearing the curse of our sin so that we would believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And we must come to grips with the fact that we can do nothing to contribute to our salvation. We have to come to grips with that. So many people, that's actually their hang-up for becoming a follower of Jesus Christ is that they think, well, I'm going to have to do something. And it's no, you can't do anything to contribute 
for your salvation. These women had rightly followed and served Jesus. But that is not what would save them. It was his work on the cross that saved them. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His bearing the wrath of God against their sin, his his paying the ransom price that their sin deserved is what saved them. Along with his rising from the grave before they arrived on the third day. And so they watched from a short distance. They saw him breathe his last. And we must observe the finished work of salvation if we are ever going to step out and participate in courageous evangelism. You see, if we, if we view evangelism as a work we must do to earn our salvation or trying to maintain our salvation in some way, then we will actually undercut the very motivation that we have for courageous evangelism. That, that is a motivation based on guilt that will not sustain us. But we said this from the very beginning, that we won't tell others about Jesus until we have come to grips with how amazing he is ourselves. And that happens through our faith that he did what we could not do for ourselves. And he loved us when we did not deserve love ourselves. You might remember we set out in our study of Mark with this goal as part of the series vision that we would each grow to personally love Jesus more closely. That has to be the number one goal. And so let me ask you, especially if you've been with us most of this year, have you grown in your love for Jesus as you've encountered him in his word, especially through Mark's gospel this year? Is your love for him growing and growing and growing and growing? I know I have. And I know I still have a lot more room to grow. Because <laughs> his love is infinite. And mine's not there yet. Even today, as you once again consider Jesus dying on the cross for you, performing the greatest act of love for you that the world has ever known. Even when you were an enemy of him in your sin. As you consider Jesus bearing the curse of your sin, bearing God's judgment against your sin, sin that you've even committed today. As you think about him hanging on a cross there for you with nothing you can contribute, does that increase your love for him? He has finished this work of salvation for you. If you would turn from your sin, and trust Him as your Savior and Lord. As you reflect on the cross, pray that you would see the severity of your sin. I pray that you would see the sufficiency of your Savior and that you would love Him for it. Love Him for it. And then realize as well that His death is sufficient for all who would come to Him in faith. And therefore, you can carry this good news to everyone because Christ's work on the cross is that powerful. There are millions of people out there trying to do the work of religion, 
trying to appease the gods of their choosing or the gods of their own imaginations when the Lord has finished the work on, the, on their behalf so that they could come into relationship with the one true God. And they need to hear. He is worthy of their worship because he was slain for them. For these women, they, they will get caught up in telling others about his resurrection later that day. But first, they must stand at a distance while he saves them. I'm sorry, later on Sunday. <laughs> Different day. Now, Mark told us earlier in chapter 15 that it was about the ninth hour. It's 3 p.m. when Jesus breathed his last. And there's this secret follower of Jesus who's, who's wrestling in his heart at that moment about how he should respond to this event. The, the Sabbath is a, approaching. It starts at, at 6 p.m. sundown. If this Jew, Jewish ruler is going to have a proper burial for Jesus, he needs to act now. He has three hours, and he makes a courageous decision. From Joseph of Arimathea, we see the second step toward courageous evangelism. Align yourself publicly with his kingdom. Align yourself publicly with his kingdom. Mark tells us that Joseph was a respected member of the council. That is, the council of the Sanhedrin. In other words, the guys who just put Jesus to death. But there's something different about Joseph. Mark puts it this way, that he was looking for the kingdom of God. When you see that phrase in the Gospels, it's describing someone who is faithfully anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And they aren't waiting for the Messiah in the way that everyone else was waiting for him. They're expecting the right things from the Messiah. Remember in chapter 1 that Jesus came out of the wilderness preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. And therefore, to follow him into this kingdom, you had to repent and believe the good news that he was the Christ. Uh, Matthew and John describe Joseph as a secret disciple of Jesus, along with Nicodemus. Luke tells us that he was good and righteous and did not consent to their decision to kill Jesus. It's possible that the Sanhedrin didn't even invite him to their sham trial. But up until this moment, Joseph's colleagues did not know just how aligned he was with Jesus. I'm guessing they maybe had their suspicions, but he had never come out with it. And so this was the moment when Mark says he took courage. There's our word. There's our word. He took courage. He decided to go all in. He crossed the pain line, as Rico Tice of Christianity Explored would say. He took courage and went to Pilate and asked him for the body of Jesus. Now, that is significant for a number of reasons. Uh, first, the Romans didn't bury the people that they crucified. They just threw them on the burn pile of Gehenna to add to their shame. Second, Jesus had prophesied, along with Isaiah, that he would be buried. So you can't emerge from a tomb on the third day if your body is burning in a trash heap. 
Third, this is the, the type of honorable burial of which Jesus is worthy. No one crucified by Rome was later laid in a rich man's garden tomb. R.C. Sproul says that this is the beginning of his exaltation. This is, he has gone to the pinnacle of humiliation on the cross. He breathed his last and now begins his exaltation. And finally, this, this burial is part of the proof that Jesus really died. Because Pilate went and got a Roman centurion, a, a professional executioner, to verify that Jesus was dead. And even early on in church history, the accusation was, oh, he didn't really die, he just passed out. But Jesus did not just pass out on a cross. And he's not some... He's not part of some elaborate magic show where, where his disciples came and they replaced his body and all this smoke and mirror stuff. He was verified dead. He was buried. A large stone was rolled in front of the tomb and according to Matthew, guards were posted at its side precisely so there wouldn't be any shenanigans. The record of his burial is, is partly proof that Jesus really died. But it's also a demonstration of the courage that it takes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. See, no burial would have happened if Joseph of Arimathea failed to take courage, go to Pilate, and ask for Jesus' body. There, there's no going back for him after this. This likely meant losing his position on the Sanhedrin, which is his livelihood, his status. It meant being the object of scorn and ridicule for being identified with a crucified criminal. And I don't believe that he went out and did this because he lacked fear. The phrase took courage implies that he had to psych himself up about this. He had to take courage. But Joseph had assessed that something else was more important than his fear. He believed that Jesus was who he said he was, that, he be, that to him belonged the kingdom of God, and that he was, he was deserving of all of the honor of a proper burial for a righteous Jew. And so he acted quickly. He, went, he asked Pilate, then he went and bought a linen shroud. He would have cleaned the body. They, we, we know that him and Nicodemus put some spices in there. They wrapped the body up, and they laid it in his own tomb. And then he sealed it with a stone all before sundown, all before the Sabbath began. And I wonder if when he rolled that stone into place, maybe he took another deep breath and just kind of like let his thoughts catch up with him and is like, what did I just do? But there comes a time for every true believer that they must make their faith public. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But it's not just believing in your heart. Notice that. It's, it's not just believing in your heart as if, as if Christianity is some you and Jesus thing. Following Jesus is not a private matter. It's not some religion that we're not supposed to discuss at the Thanksgiving dinner table. 
To be a true follower of Jesus is to confess with your mouth. It requires making your faith known, making it public. You see, there really is no such thing as a secret disciple of Jesus Christ. In the earlier chapters of the book of Acts, when the apostles are seen in the temple courts, it's said that those observing them could tell that these men had been with Jesus. It was evident. When you follow Jesus, when you, when you believe in his finished work of salvation on your behalf, and therefore your life in his resurrection, he changes you. Changes you from the inside out. He transfers you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. The beloved son. And part of that change is that you actually want to be identified with him. He is worthy of that honor, no matter what that would cost you. Now, the first way that a disciple is called to publicly align with Jesus in his kingdom is through baptism. In baptism, you are publicly confessing with your mouth that you believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord of your life, and you are committing to follow him as a disciple together with the local church. You're identifying with his death, his burial, what Joseph is actually doing right here, and his resurrection. In some sense, Joseph is undergoing a baptism of sorts. He's publicly identifying with Jesus by entering into the grave with him. And so if you have never been baptized, and you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I would urge you, take courage publicly identify with him. Don't let the fear of talking in front of others or the fear of water or of any other fear get in the way. If you've been convinced of this, Jesus, through the gospel of Mark, take courage. Now is the time to tell others through baptism that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. and You believe it. Talk to me or one of the other elders, or, or if you're more comfortable, talk to our wives. If you want to get baptized, we'll just put something on the calendar. And then once you have been baptized, continue to publicly identify with him. Christ followers, let me ask you this. Do people at your workplace, if you're employed, know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do they know? Do your neighbors, do, do your family members know? And how do they know? Let me be clear here. I'm not just asking, do they know that you consider yourself a Christian? Do they know that you would attach that label to yourself? I'm not asking that question. I'm asking, do they know what Christ means to you? Have they seen you take courageous steps of faith that clearly demonstrate that Jesus is your life? Have, they, have you expressed your faith in the face of trial in a way that makes you stand out from the rest of the world? Do people see that your outlook on life and in this world is on the whole hopeful? Because you know that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and coming back for you when he establishes his kingdom. 
Do you, know, do you talk about Jesus Christ like you actually love him? I want to urge you, if they do not know, they need to know. And that means that you probably need to cross the pain line this week. Start a conversation. Have I ever told you about the one who changed my life? Name drop Jesus. Like you had a conversation with him as your best friend earlier that morning. Talk about why you have hope in him. No matter what gas prices are doing or what the results of the election were. Publicly align yourself with his kingdom. It might cost you. It might feel weird or unnatural at first. It might be scary. But Jesus is far more important than fear. Joseph of Arimathea clearly loved Jesus. He loved him so much that he gave him his tomb. He paid for his burial clothes. He ruined his whole life, humanly speaking, because of who he believed Jesus to be. And Jesus did not disappoint. He would not stay in that tomb very long. Mark notes that that two of the women who saw Jesus breathe his last also saw the tomb where he was laid, and that's important because they needed to know exactly how to get there on Sunday morning after the Sabbath so that they could honor his body with spices, and and we're going to need to know that they weren't at the wrong tomb that day because Jesus isn't there. In chapter 16, verse 1, Mark jumps us forward in time to, to very early in the morning, On Sunday, the sun was just cresting over the horizon. The other gospel writers say it was still pretty dark. And as these women are walking, they're talking. One of their primary concerns was this. uh, Who's going to be strong enough to roll away the stone for us? Where Where might we encounter that kind of power? Mark emphasizes that it was a very large stone. So humanly speaking, they're justified in asking this question, but when they got there, it was already rolled aside. And this serves to highlight the power inherent to the resurrection. This is our final step toward courageous evangelism that we can take from the text today. Bear witness to your experience of his resurrection power. Bear witness to your experience of his resurrection power. Not only was the stone no longer a problem, the work had already been finished for them in that regard too, but also the death of Jesus was no longer a problem. Their spices were no longer needed. They walk into the tomb where they see this guy sitting on the right side dressed in white. And the other Gospels are clear. This was an angel who appears as a man. And Mark tells us they were alarmed. I'd say that's probably an understatement. If I was walking around a cemetery in in the dark hours of the early morning and I found a grave open and a guy sitting in the tomb where I expected a dead guy to be, I'd be a little more than alarmed. But notice how many times this idea of being alarmed shows up in verses 5 to 8 of chapter 16. Let me just read that for you again. Look down in your Bibles at it. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. 
you see Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. There is a, a ton of fear surrounding this scene. But the question that we're left hanging with is, will these women take courage and do what the angel told them to do? Tell others about the resurrection, specifically the other disciples and Peter who had, had denied Jesus, and so he's extra down about it? Or will they remain paralyzed in their fear? See, these women had good reason to be afraid. The body's gone. There was a, a strange guy in white clothing sitting in there instead. And who in the world would believe them, especially in a culture where women weren't even allowed to be witnesses in a court of law? And so what are they going to do next? Where can they go that is safe? What if all the people they had take, thought they had taken the body? Like just all sorts of questions running through your head at that moment. And that's where Mark ends the gospel. He leaves us hanging on that question. Will they obey the command to tell the others or will they remain paralyzed in fear? You see now why some of the later scribes think that this is missing an ending. But if, if Mark did end his gospel here, and I believe that he did, then it serves as an effective device to leave us asking the same question ourselves. Will we tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, risen from the dead? Or will we remain paralyzed in our fears? We have legitimate fears. Will I lose my job? Will I say something dumb? What if that person lashes out at me? What if I destroy my reputation? What if Jesus calls me to do more than just share my faith with the person right next to me? What if, he, if I start getting serious about this? What if he calls me to go somewhere else with the gospel? What if it gets serious? We have legitimate fears, but we act as if it is okay to let our fears control us. Remember what these women are ultimately witnessing. They are witnessing Jesus Christ risen from the dead. They went to the garden thinking that the main problem of the day was a heavy gravestone. They had no imagination that Jesus would solve an even bigger problem, the problem of death itself. Jesus had already overcome the problem of the grave, and having overcome that problem, he will empower them to overcome any problem that comes when we face the proclamation that's in front of us. Even the problem of death for us. The resurrection of Jesus means that even death can't touch those who trust in him. Because death is swallowed up in victory. 
And we who love him will get to be with him forever in glorified bodies just as he is. And so to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if death isn't a threat anymore, then what is? That is where the courage for our evangelism comes from. It comes from seeing the power of the one we proclaim. And the message we proclaim is the power of his resurrection. We don't just tell a message of of sin and God's wrath, though that must be communicated and understood. We don't just tell a message of a guy dying on a cross for our sins so that you can ask him into your heart and feel better about yourself. We tell a message of a risen and reigning Lord who defeated Satan, sin, and death. We tell a message of hope that is stronger than death itself. We tell a message of life that is restored by a life-giving relationship to the Creator. And our lives and our words must bear witness to the reason for the hope that is in us, our union with the crucified and resurrected Lord. Now we know from the other gospel writers that these women did go back and tell the twelve. And that women in general, and we can assume these women included, played a great role in the early church. But let's hang on to this question as we close out today. Will you take courage or will you remain paralyzed in your fear? Will you take courage or will you remain paralyzed in fear? You you can't remain watching at a distance. You can't remain in hiding. You must Go to the empty tomb, observe the finished work of Christ for your salvation, align yourself publicly with his kingdom, and then bear witness to your experience of his resurrection power. Has he changed your life? If not, you need to turn to him for his salvation today. And if so, Do you believe that he wants to change the lives of the people around you as well? If the resurrection is true, then Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Christ, the Son of God, and now is the time to tell others that good news. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.